Welcome to the Dream Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Song of Songs, chapter six. Go ahead and turn there. And uh, am I too loud or am I good? Too loud? A little too loud? Perfect. I don't know who has the thing, but does Ellington have it? Did he give it to Alex? Okay, Alex isn't here. Okay, cool. Yeah, if you could just bring this down in the, in the house a little bit. It's good up here, but... Um, yeah, I saw some of y'all cringing a little bit when I talk, so. All right, um, I'm gonna just, let me give you a little heads up. This is something brand new, and when I say brand new, I mean a whole new thing that the Lord's doing. So, um, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, um, but I'm not gonna make you turn to all of it, uh, but I just, I wanna leave here today and everybody have a clear understanding of what the Lord's doing. So, um, we're going to start at Song of Songs chapter 6. I'm just going to read this, this chapter super short, so y'all roll with me, all right? Here we go. Verse 1, Passion Translation. I'm reading this out of. O rarest of beauty, where then has your lover gone? All right, so if you remember last week, just real quick, uh, he opened her up for more, knocked on her heart's door, wants to come in, uh, and then she can't find him. He goes to another level of glory. She's seeking him out. The brides to be, her friends, other people that are um, watching this whole relationship play out are saying, why in the world are you doing this much for him? Is there not another? And so uh, this is where we pick up the story. So they say, O rarest of beauty, where has your lover gone? We long to see him too. Where may we find him? We will follow you as you seek after him. And then she says this. This is where things, six, chapter 6, 7, and 8, things take a big shift, and um, it's really awesome. So here we go. She says, my lover has gone down into his garden of delight, the place where his spices grow, to feast on those pure in heart. I know we shall find him there. This is it. He is within me. I am his garden of delight. I have him fully now, and he fully has me. And then he says, Oh, my beloved, you are lovely. When I see you in your beauty, I see a radiant city where we will dwell as one. More pleasing than any pleasure, more delightful than any delight, you have ravished my heart, stealing away my strength to resist you. Even host of angels stand in awe of you. Okay, this is him talking to you. Even host of angels stand in awe of you. Turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. I mean, listen to this language. Turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. I can't resist the passion of these eyes that I adore. Overpowered by a glance, my ravished heart undone. Held captive by your love, I am truly overcome. For your undying devotion to me is the most yielding sacrifice. Do y'all hear this? Let me remind you. The Song of Songs is prophetically speaking from Jesus to us. Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride. So Jesus is speaking to you. Turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. I mean, 
How many of y'all heard that verse growing up in church? Okay. Okay. I can't resist the passion of these eyes I adore. Overpowered by a glance, my ravished heart undone. Held captive by your love, I am truly overcome. For your undying devotion to me is the most yielding sacrifice. Now remember, where was she in chapter 5? She let her devotion slumber. All right, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to that. But if you were, you remember that? She says, then I let my devotion slumber. I was asleep. He awakened me in the night. Then she seeks him out. And because of what he unlocked within her, it unlocked an undying devotion. I relate to this a little bit because I remember going through seasons of my life where it would be uh, six months, I'd be really great with the Lord. I'd read my Bible every day, pray every day, worship every day, and then there'd be six months of just kind of falling off, not doing anything, not reading my Bible, not doing any of that stuff. Then we'd have a revival service or something like that at church, and it'd go right back up for two months, and then right back down. And literally, my relationship with Jesus, my entire life up until about five years ago was this. Anybody can relate? All, all of us can relate. Okay. Um, and so this is where she is. She was in a relationship with him that was literally going like this. If you read through the book of Song of Songs, it's just like this. But then she gets to chapter 6, and something was unlocked within her that ceased the seasonal devotion. And my prayer years and years ago was, Lord, I don't want to do the season thing anymore. I want to do the eternal thing. I didn't think it was possible. I had never seen it my entire life. I had never been around preacher, minister, friend, anybody who had a relationship with Jesus that didn't go like this. I, I, I didn't know it. And so I'm in the presence of the Lord, and I'm asking him, before this church was ever a thought, before any of this was ever a thought, I'm just asking, Lord, is it even possible to live a life where I never go back down? Does that even exist? And he begins to show up and invite me into a lifestyle where I had to make the decision in order to get into the lifestyle of devotion where it never ceased, I was going to have to be okay with weird. That's really what it was. It was because I would get to a point where I would reach my capacity as it related to devotion. And when I reached that capacity, I would say, I guess this is it. And the moment I became complacent, going back to last week, the moment I became complacent, it started doing this right here. Can I get a little more of this mic up here? Sorry, it took a little bit too much. All right. So I start to ask him, Lord, how can I do this to where it never ceases? And he begins to show me, thank you, that in order to do that, I was going to have to hit the place where I thought it was my capacity and then allow him to lovingly push me beyond. And as soon as you start taking steps beyond your capacity, things start getting very weird. What I define as weird today was insane five years ago. And what I define as weird today will be normal probably in about two months. You know what I'm saying? Because I can honestly say with full integrity today, for five years now, my lifestyle with Jesus has looked like this. I mean, there's been days where I've been tempted to become complacent, but overall, it's looked just like this. And I don't say that in pride. I say that as an invitation 
that all of us have access into the lifestyle where Jesus isn't an on-off switch. It's just an on switch that never goes off. So every moment, every single moment of my day, I'm consumed with him. Every moment. I'm driving in this morning, and I'm not thinking about, man, I wonder what that new Justin Bieber album, man. You know, that's all great. You know what? I'm driving in this morning, and I'm thinking, man, if Noah did that with seven people. You know, like I'm having these thoughts. You know, if Noah sends out a bird, and it doesn't come back, and then Jesus gets baptized, and all of a sudden that dove falls on him and remains, where's my dove? You know, I mean, but that's the, over and over and over and over and over. I'm consumed with passion. I say like this, Jesus, I'm consumed with zeal for my father's house. I am. I'm consumed with it. It, ne- it never leaves my mind. When I wake, my alarm goes off at 5 a.m. every single morning. This morning was, was a little tougher, but, amen. Uh, but my alarm goes off every morning at 5 a.m., and I pop up, and it's like a kid at Christmas because I know what's coming. Brand new. His mercy is new every day. Every morning I wake up, and he's making all things new, and he's reinvigorating, and he's making things new, and he's reinvigorating. And I had this conversation with him a couple of weeks ago. When I first started this five years ago-ish, uh, I would lay, I would cry so much. And you know, some of y'all are like, man, I just don't cry a lot. Um, I would just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and lay in the floor and write and all that stuff. And lately, um, I guess about six months now, it's been deep encounters, but not a lot of crying. And not a lot of laying in the floor. It's been a lot of pacing. So I asked the Lord the other day, I was like, Lord, am I doing something wrong? Is this bad? Should I be crying more? And he began to show me, there are, there are times when you get to a depth in him where the things that used to knock you on your butt, now you walk in. Let me say it like, all right, let me say it like this. So when I was growing up, man, this is going to offend a lot of people. When I was growing up, uh, everybody used to fall out in the spirit left and right. That was, that was just our thing. You just do it. You show up at church, you're probably going to fall out in the spirit. And uh, especially if you had a guest speaker, you're definitely going to fall out in the spirit. And... Um, that was just our thing, you know, bam, 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 bam. Well, I was a kid, all I knew, yeah, I'm about to unveil a lot of stuff about, you know. So when I was a kid, I knew, you know, all right, if you don't fall out, you're just a sinner. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if, if you get prayed for, you don't go, but everybody else goes, there's something wrong with you. So I'd be, you know, eight years old, somebody come by and it's like, you know, just looking around, laying on the floor, like making sure I'm not the first one to get up. And, um, you know, there was some times where it was legit. There was a lot of times where it was not for me. But here's why I say that. The Lord began speaking to me about stuff like that lately. And, and the reason he did is because we were on our way to get Veda some shoes, and I heard the, the Lord whisper out of nowhere, I'm bringing the holiness movement into what you're doing. And I said, no thanks. Don't want that. Yeah, literally, that was my first response is, you can keep that. Don't want to get within 100 yards of that thing. And he begins to show me that the seed of what the holiness movement, which, by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you, you know, the people that wear skirts, I grew up like this. Uh, you can't wear pants. You can't wear makeup. You can't cut your hair. Like, you know, super legalistic. Um, but the seed of that was that they wanted to be set apart for the Lord. That was the seed. It just manifested itself in works. What we're doing is we are setting ourselves apart for the Lord rather than doing it through works. We're doing it through righteousness. 
And so what the Lord is doing is he's taking seeds that have just simply not been tended to well. And he's allowing the water that's flowing through here to start watering seeds in the right way that's going to begin to grow fruit that we could not grow on our own. Right? And so I asked the Lord about this stuff, and he said, when I showed up and you fell out in the spirit, for example, in a real way, what I was doing is I was unveiling in a moment a level of power that you could not take which is why you fall out in the spirit, right? He shows up in a, in, a, in a level of power that you in your current wineskin cannot contain, which is why you fall, right? So it's the same thing when people would go into the temple and they were impure, the presence of the Lord would kill them, okay? He doesn't do that, so it invites us into a reoccurring falling out, he does that so it invites us to be baptized as a wineskin so that the next time he shows up with that level of power, we don't fall, we actually walk. Okay, I knew this was going to offend a lot of people, sorry. You know what I mean? And then the next time he shows up and it knocks us on our butt, it's an invitation to go deeper so that the next time that measure comes, our wineskin can hold it. It's the wineskin. So the anointing on your life, he'll drop a couple of drops of new wine into you just so you can get a taste. They taste and see the Lord is good. Why? Because if you get a taste, you'll want the rest of it, right? So he'll drop a couple of drops of new wine into your wineskin so that when he baptizes you in the process of becoming new, you'll know what the new wine tastes like. If you don't know what the new wine tastes like, when he begins to empty you and recreate you or regenerate you, you reject it. So a lot of people reject him trying to make them new because they haven't tasted the drops of new wine. But if you get a taste of it, then when he begins to baptize you, it's like, man, this thing's worth it. Same reason Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, don't you dare let me die here. I got to go get killed on a cross so that I can get my people back. Same thing. How, why? Why wouldn't he just take it out right there? Just go right there. Because he had a taste of something. He had 12 people around him that had been completely transformed. And he's looking at the 12, 11, I guess. He had 11 that actually were transformed. Other was the devil. But he's looking at these 12, 11, or, or even Peter and John and James. He's looking at three and saying, you know what? If this thing is going to get me more of that, I, I've got to go to the cross. Jesus himself gets a taste of new wine through the people around him and says, that right there is worth all of it. You know what I'm saying? And so what she is going through, the Shulamite, is something that all of us are invited into. And I said this earlier, but I got this sense this week. That for two and a half years, roughly, a little less than that, but for two and a half years as a church, all we have done week in and week out and week in and week out for the couple of people that were here in the beginning um, is him teach us who we are and who he is. I mean, it's literally all we've done, who we are, who he is, all we, who we are, who he is. Over, You are good. He's good. You're right. He's right. I mean, like just all we've done right now. He is shifting us. 
He'll always reinvigorate that. But right now, he's shifting us into the next stage, what I've been calling the next stage, which is how close he is and how accessible he is. This is something brand new, yet not new at all, right? So once you know who you are, and this is why he does this, you have to know who you are and you have to know who he is or you'll never believe he's as close as he says. You know what I mean? If he's not good, then when he begins to whisper, I'm actually closer than the skin on your bones, you say, man, I just don't know about that. Right? How do I know that? Because that's what we get, right? Man, I just don't know about that. Right? And then you got another group of people who are saying, sweet, the next level's unlocked. I don't care how weird this thing gets. Let's go. Right? I mean, when seraphim start flying around the room, it's going to get weird. However, if his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, we better get used to it. You know what I mean? Don't, don't make that a fantasy. Don't make that a metaphor. His kingdom is coming and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever heaven looks like, the intention of the earth is for the earth to look exactly like heaven. Heaven is nothing but a blueprint for the earth. That's really what it is. Heaven is a blueprint that we are to take and look at where we currently are and say, this does not look like that. Therefore, we've got some work to do. But what he began to show me this week is that the first stage of the answer to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is you and I. And I'm going to prove it. So... <clears throat> I want to really focus on this verse, Song of Songs 6, verse 3. He is within me. He is within me. I am his garden of delight. I have him fully, and now he fully has me. All right. Uh, let me see where to pick up on my notes. I'm going to try not to keep y'all here all day. God's plan A was union not separation. I would definitely take notes today, by the way. God's plan A, the plan that he started with, was union, not separation. When sin through disobedience entered the picture, sin caused separation. Okay? All right. So gonna, this, uh, this is going to feel a lot like a theology class, but that's good. I like that. All right? God's plan was never for him and his world to be over here and us and our world to be over here. When the earth and the heavens were created, they were created in union as one. That, that was his plan. It was never separation. It was oneness. That's exactly why he calls us bride and nothing else. Why wouldn't Jesus call us brothers and sisters? He does, but he primarily identifies us as bride. Why? Because brothers and sisters have a very close relationship, but a husband and bride are one. Y'all with me? Okay, so in Genesis 1, God created, you don't have to turn there, I'm gonna just blow through this. In Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. So here's a little um, word study. 
heaven, the word heaven, has a geographic meaning and a spiritual meaning. Okay? Don't make the geographic meaning the spiritual meaning. There's two meanings. The first meaning, they would use the word heaven in the Hebrew language as describing the sky. Okay? So that's the geographic meaning. Let me be clear one more time. That is the geographic exclusive meaning. Okay? The spiritual meaning of heaven is this. God's abode or where God abides. Okay? So if you were to ask me, hey, what is heaven? I would tell you heaven is where God abides. That's, that's literally the Hebrew definition. Okay? Some of y'all, some things are starting to click right now. However, this word is most often used simply to describe the sky. Most of the text in the Old Testament, when it says the heavens, a lot of times they're simply talking about the sky or the universe or space. Okay? But... When it's used in the spiritual sense, it's talking about God's abode, where God is. Okay? God's abode is not in the sky. The sky represents a higher order as where God is is of a higher order. Isaiah 55 says this. It says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, the skies are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. When you see the terminology of heaven as it relates to height or sky, it's not talking about God being on, you know, the Andromeda Andromeda galaxy or Pluto. It's talking about the Lord's ways being higher than our ways. In fact, Amos 9 says this. This has become one of my favorite verses this week. The Lord's home reaches up to the heavens while its foundation is on the earth. Skip that one too. Um, Lack of understanding has made people think heaven is in outer space. It really has. Height in scripture is only exclusively used to describe order, not literal height. I'm going to prove it in a second. This misunderstanding has cost millions from the life of proximal devotion. Okay? So let me just say this one more time. To be clear, heaven is where God is. Amen. That's right. What do they used to say? Can I get a witness? Boom. Um, <laughs> um, so, where, so here's the question. Where does God abide? What, what, what is heaven? What is heaven? Where God abides, okay? So let's ask the question, where does God abide? Okay, Song of Songs 6.3 says, He is within me. I am his garden of delight. I have him fully, and now he fully has me. Listen to what John 15 says. Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. In the beginning, heaven and earth were one in the garden. Okay? We all agree? I mean, I hope. Hopefully we all agree with that. Okay. That's, 
So heaven and earth were one in the garden. God walked and communed with Adam. He abided with Adam in the garden. Okay? So by definition, the garden was heaven and earth together. Okay? Both realms united into one realm. Let me say it like this. Revelation 21, John says, he looks up and he says, Behold, I saw the new heavens and the new earth descending out of the heavenly realm. Is he talking about God being in another place and us being in another place for all of eternity? Of course not, right? We're one. Jesus says, our Father, man, I'm going to jump ahead of myself. Hold, hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. John 3, 12, Jesus says this. If you're unable to, Nicodemus, if you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? Jesus is in the same place, and he's about to unveil both in the same place. That's he says, if you've questioned me when I unveil stuff about the natural, wait till, you start, wait till I start to unveil the supernatural. Then he says this, verse 13 says, No one has risen into the heavenly realm except the Son of Man who also exists in heaven. Liter translation, here's what he's saying. I'm right here in front of you, and right now in this moment, I'm also in heaven. How is that possible? Unless he was carrying within him another world. Matthew 6.10, Jesus says, here we go. Your kingdom come, let me just break it down. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Another, here's what he's saying. He's saying, join earth and heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done here as it is there. Make them one. That's his prayer. Why is he praying that? Because he's coming to reinstate the reality that Adam and Eve forfeited. That's what he came for. He came to get his bride back. He dealt with sin, but the reason he dealt with sin is ultimately because he wanted his bride back. Y'all with me? So don't stop at sin. I'm thankful that my sin is taken care of. Super thankful. But I'm not going to stop there. I'm not a sinner saved by grace, and neither are you. You're the bride of Yeshua. Totally different. Okay? <clears throat> I just start losing people. I'm just kidding. Y'all got to go to the bathroom. That's okay. Um, I figure if I just make it weird for a couple of people going to the bathroom, people just hold it. But, you know. <laughs> My grandpa, when I was a kid, used to rip people. He'd say stuff about people while they were in the bathroom so they wouldn't go again. I'm not going to do that, but anyway. Um, Ephesians 2.6 says this. He, Paul says, he raised us from the dead with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm. Why? Because we are united with Christ Jesus. So, Okay. So right now, you're seated in the heavenly realm. You're also seated in the natural realm. I mean, literally, I'm right in front of you, okay? Okay? How is that possible? Unless there's a project going on right now that through you, the two become one. All right. I got so many verses, just so people won't say I'm a heretic. John 17, 21, Jesus says, I pray for them all to be joined together, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them 
to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. What is Jesus praying? Jesus is literally praying to the Father, and this is the section where he's praying for all who believe, okay? And he says, I pray that you'll take them and unite them in the relationship that I have with you. And then he proves it by ascending into the heavenly realm and then sending the Holy Spirit, his very spirit, to dwell within you. Are y'all with me? I know this is a lot, so just hang, with it, hang in there. Okay? Sin brought separation between the realms, heavenly, natural. But Jesus took care of sin and began the process of rejoining the original plan, heaven and earth, together. That is the prayer of Matthew 6.10. Jesus is the Lord's prayer is the prayer. I'm about to take care of the veil now I pray that those two worlds that were once separated by a veil will become one without the veil. What does Jesus do? He dies on the cross, and then what happens in the temple? The veil is ripped. Okay, so in the beginning, there was the garden. The garden was the intersection between heaven and earth. Do you all know what an intersection is, right? You have one thing here, one thing here, and then there's something that goes between the two. That's, that's an intersection. All right. So the garden was an intersection between heaven and earth, and Jesus and God gives the command to Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. In other words, take the reality of this garden and expand its borders across the earth. Okay? They forfeit that. Then the temple... And the holy of holies becomes the intersection between heaven and earth. That's where the Lord would show up and speak intimately to his priest. So the temple becomes the intersection. Then we get language like this. Jesus dies. The veil in the temple is torn, which means there is no separation between the depth of the holy of holies and then the shallow part of where everybody would just hang out. There is no more separation. So the spirit in the holy of holies that was contained by a veil is now no longer contained and it shoots past through the temple, lands on 120 in Acts 2, and then explodes across the earth to this place today, all because of one veil being torn. So we get language like this, okay? He is within me. I am his garden of delight. What garden? And then you have language like this, you are his royal priesthood, a peculiar, that doesn't mean weird, that means set apart, okay? We, 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 used, to, we used to go, you know, I'm, I'm peculiar. It's like, no, just odd. Um, that's what I would tell myself. Um, but we are his set apart people. And then Paul begins to explain all throughout his writings how we are the temple of the Lord. Here's what's all this, you are now the intersection between heaven and earth. If somebody is going to move from a natural reality into a kingdom reality, they're going to have to pass through the Jesus in you. That, that's, what, that's evangelism. That's what we call that, okay? So what you do when you're evangelizing to people is you're not introducing them to a doctrine. You're introducing them to a portal where they can transform their lives from all natural to all supernatural. 
That's why Paul says, we lay aside our Adam self, put it to death so that we can be raised to life in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So what we're introducing people to is the heavenly realm, is heaven. When people encounter me, they should encounter heaven. Do do y'all see how this works? Okay, so sin brought separation between the realms, but Jesus took care of sin and began the process of rejoining them together. The Holy Spirit within you is a portal into the dimensions. I'm really trying to make sure your heads don't pop off. <clears throat> but I'm going to just trust you with it. The Holy Spirit within you is the portal into the dimensions. Because video games have stolen kingdom language, don't make it video game language. Okay? Because when I say that stuff, some of y'all start thinking about Halo or whatever video games people play. Um, the Holy Spirit within you is the portal. So what it, like, let's just take the prophetic. What is the prophetic? Is, you've heard me teach this before if you've been here, but the prophetic is, is you reach through the Holy Spirit, you reach into the heavenly eternal realm, take hold of something, and pull it back into the natural realm and release it. That's the prophetic, right? Is you go into eternity, see something, come back within time, and release an eternal truth. Prophetic, okay? Let's take healing, Okay? In the natural, you're dealing with X, Y, and Z. So through the Holy Spirit, you reach into the heavenly realm, take a leaf from the tree of healing, for example, take healing out of the heavenly realm, come back and release it into the sick realm. You see what I'm saying? So healing is impossible just in the natural, right? I mean, we can do a lot. We can take medicine to cover up symptoms. We can have surgeries to cover up symptoms. But complete healing is impossible in the natural alone. It is, it's impossible. So for anybody to be healed of anything, there has to be a transaction between the place where sickness does not exist and the place where sickness fully exists. Right? The, the natural, the, the sin-filled world and the perfected beauty of his world are completely at odds against each other. If there's full sickness here, there's full health there. If there's full misunderstanding here, there's full understanding there. If there's broken up love here, there's full love here and whole love here. Do y'all see how it works? So Jesus, when he comes, the greatest thing that Jesus does above everything is show us that we don't have to live in the way that people have lived up to the point of Jesus, which is we're subject to sickness, we're subject to disease, we're subject to death, we're subject to not hearing from the Lord, and so we got to go to a priest, and then he's going to go talk to the Lord for us if he's pure, and then he's going to come back and tell us what the Lord said. We don't, Jesus came and introduced a way that said, if you will repent and turn and die to yourself, I'll invite you into a lifestyle where me and you are joined together for eternity. And so we have a hard time in the church today. We have a hard time in America grasping healing. Hard time. You can talk about, you know, his kingdom come, his will be done. He's going to change the globe. You got so much grace. It's not even funny. He thinks you're the best. People are like, boom, boom, boom. This is awesome. Greatest thing we've ever heard. And he also wants to heal you. Um, I, man, I, 
don't know about that. You know, right? We, we know, on Tuesday night, Paul talked about healing. You could sense, you could sense this just like, that sounds right, but. You know what I mean? Here's why. And I said this Tuesday night, but this is why. It's because healing is tangible. You can hold it in your hand. You can see it. You can feel it. You can taste it. Righteousness, if you're not careful, will be an epiphany. It'll be a thought. You'll never hold it in your hand. Because you can't hold righteousness in your hand while you're also still holding sickness. You just can't. Right? So what we do is we'll make truth subject to experience. We'll make truth relative. So, right? So I think this is in the words of Oprah or Obama or somebody. I think it's Oprah. Started this whole thing, speak your truth. How many of you have heard people say that? You know, speak your truth. Speak your truth. Live your truth. Do whatever your truth is. And I, I'm, I'm reading some of this stuff, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That don't sound right. Yeah, just speak your truth. Here's what that means. It's whatever you believe is right, that's truth. It's whatever, whatever feels good, whatever you believe, that's your truth. Here's the issue. In a society where every individual has their own truth, there is no truth. You know what I'm saying? So if truth is relative, there is no truth. The kingdom is not relative at all. It's constant, despite circumstance. So just because you experience one thing does not change truth. But we live in a democracy where the people are sovereign, therefore, we step into a kingdom where the people are not sovereign, where he alone is sovereign, and we start kicking back when he steps in to be the sovereign Lord of our life because we see him through the democratic way that we live our lives here in America, which is, I choose how this thing goes. This is where the church came in and said, you know what? We're going to put a timer on the clock. We're going to start counting down. You better not go past this time. You better not do this past this time. We're really not going to pray for people because that makes people uncomfortable. Why do we do that? Because we thought we had a say in this. Wait, you know what I mean? We thought somehow along the way, we thought we get to determine how this thing goes. And let me tell you something. We do not. I don't determine how this church goes. He does. And if he wants to close the doors tomorrow, guess what? We'll close the door tomorrow. If he wants us to preach about how abortion is wrong and everybody turns their back on us because of it, at least a couple will step into glory to glory. But it's wrong. All right, Lord, I got so many notes. And John 3, 6, and then I'm gonna, let me just teach y'all a little truth right here. John 3, 6, and then I'm going to take a rabbit. <clears throat> Jesus said, the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to supernatural life. In other words, as long as you're operating in the natural, all you can produce is the natural Hold on a second. Okay? Which is why, as a leader, I better make sure I'm operating in the supernatural because if I'm not careful and I'm moving exclusively in the natural, all of y'all are going to start moving exclusively in the natural because I can only birth what I am. 
He put in the DNA of every creature in the book of Genesis in chapter 1. He put in the DNA of every creature. He says this. Go back and read it. He says, you can produce of the same kind. What is he saying? You can only reproduce what you are. That's exactly why he made Noah the seed for the rest of the globe after the, after the flood. Why? Because he was righteousness, and the earth needed to be reproduced with righteousness. Right? So let me say it like this, and I, I have to do this, this caveat real quick, because what I'm about to say is, is heavy, is there are some things that, and I'm specifically talking to people watching this, there, there are some things that we talk about that are truth that maybe you've made a bad decision in. So like when I start talking about abortion, for example, and, and some of you maybe have had an abortion, that there is so much love and so much grace, and so much redemption in who he is, that to him is as if it's never happened. That's what grace, and love, and hope, and joy, and that's what all that stuff is. The cross is, as soon as you say yes to him, your past is gone. He cast it as far as the east is from the west. So I need to say that, put that caveat. Hezekiah was a king in, in Judah. Israel and Judah, at this point, second kings had split. Hezekiah was the king in Judah. I, th I believe this is 2 Kings chapter um, 18, I think, 17 or 18. His dad is Ahaz. If I'm wrong in that, some of y'all tell me. But uh, his dad is Ahaz, okay? He was the king before him. His dad was an awful king, just like most of them in, in the book of Kings. But um, his dad was a horrible king. Back in this time, was it 17? 18, perfect. Uh, back in this time, they had three main gods that they served in Israel and Judah. Okay? Y'all ready for this? Are y'all ready for this? You'll never hear this teaching ever anywhere else. All right? So they had three main gods that they worshiped. They had others. Uh, first off, none of those three are Yahweh. Uh, the first god was Ashura. The second god was Baal. They believed they were married, you know, one was the mother of fertility. The other one was the father of fertility. And what they would do in the temple of the Lord, mind you, the temple of the Lord is they would go in and the way that they worship these gods was to say, whatever sexual desire that you have, chase it. That was the worship of those gods. Whatever you, in, in the temple of the Lord, they would have male prostitutes, female prostitutes. And when you went into worship, just whatever you felt, you just do it. H Hello, right? So there was those two gods. And I'm telling you today, if the church doesn't step up and bring truth, you, you can't follow whatever your desire is. To be clear, let me just, you cannot fire it, follow your desires. When somebody cuts me off in traffic, if I follow my desire, I go to prison, right? Don't, so don't, don't exclude sexuality from that. He did not design you to live however you feel. He designed you to live as Jesus, which is so much greater than how you feel. So there were those two gods. There was a third God, and this, and Again, hear me with grace. I'm just giving you reality. The third God was Molech. And he was a bull. 
had a bull head and arms that held all. I'm going to save some of the details because I don't know. If, is there kids? Well, I guess a baby. Some. In the temple of the Lord, in the temple of the Lord, this God, do you know what they did to worship this God? They sacrificed their newborn babies. They would heat up the altar all around, lay the babies on them, and start playing music so they couldn't hear anything. In the temple of the Lord. So you know why the Lord was so angry with them. Okay? Ahaz is a king. The Bible says that Ahaz sent his sons through the fire. That's the biblical way of saying he gave his sons to the God of Molech. We don't know how. It's not in scripture. Somehow Hezekiah survives that. Somehow. We don't know how. Somehow Hezekiah survives, and when Ahaz dies, Hezekiah becomes king. Hezekiah goes through and rips down the high places, the idols, idolic worship, destroys all of it, and reinstates worship of Yahweh. And they don't get sent into exile in his lifetime like they were destined to be sent into because the Lord saw Hezekiah's leadership in a country that was restoring worship to God. So he dies. The Lord heals him. It's, it's a really cool story. He dies. He has two sons that go straight back to worshiping other gods. And then his great-grandson is named Josiah. Okay. His jo his, Josiah becomes king when he's eight years old. Thank the Lord that's not the case today. I, know, I don't want any eight-year-old to be the king of anything. But eight years old, eight, the number of new beginnings. Josiah goes further than Hezekiah went. He goes through the land, all the land, and destroys every idol every high place of worship, every Asherah pole. He sacrifices the priest of those other gods on those gods' altars. I mean, kills all of them. He clears the land completely. While he's king, they find the book of the law, which means they haven't been reading the book of the law if they have to just stumble across it, right? He finds it, opens it up, reads Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, reads through it, and then he says, Oh, my Lord, we're dead. You know what I mean? Because before, they didn't know. They haven't been reading the book. Of the, we're, we're gone. And the Lord says, yeah. Like, I mean, but Josiah prays, the Lord redeems. Here's my point. As a church, we got a lot of idols that need to go. So some of y'all wonder, like, man, if you just wouldn't talk about abortion, if you just wouldn't talk about LGBT, whatever, if you wouldn't talk about that stuff, man, y'all would be packed. And I'm telling you, it does not matter if there's a temple, if there's Ashura, Bell, and Molech that are being worshipped in the temple. Who cares if we have a temple if we're not worshipping Yahweh? So the first step is to tear down those gods and introduce worship of Yahweh. And a show ain't going to do it. It's just not. 
And we, we, lose peop- we lose people left and right and left and right because they come into the room, and when the light begins to shine, you either have one of two choices to make. You can either let the light shine and say, I want you to show all the darkness within me because I got somewhere to go, or you can say, nah, man, I, I, don't, I don't want all this to be seen, and you run and hide, but at least nobody can be gray. It's, you cannot be gray. You've got to, either I'm going to be full of light or I'm going to be full of darkness, but he will not let you be dim anymore. He won't. All right. Because the garden is in you now, Romans 8, 19 says this. All of creation is standing on tiptoe yearning for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. Why? Because if you start looking like heaven, that means it will start looking like heaven. Why was it so huge that the gospel started spreading? For the earth, it was huge because every time somebody got saved, a garden spread at its borders. And if enough people got saved, the earth would be brought out of its captivity and back into its original state, which is joined to its bride, heaven, to its groom, heaven. Y'all with me? All right. So I'm trying to figure out where to stop this because I've got many, 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 many notes. Your and my salvation is the first stage to the answer of the Lord's prayer. I said this earlier. In my life, his kingdom has come and his will has been done on earth as it is in heaven. I can say that. His kingdom has come and his will has been done on earth as it is in heaven. When that happened, it moved from just me into my home. And when it moves from my home, it then moves into this church. And as it moves from this church, it then moves into Columbia and then SC and then America and then the globe and then the cosmos. And then I saw before me a new heavens and new earth descending from the heavenly realm. That's how this works. But it starts with you. See, we cannot transform Columbia until you're fully transformed. That's how it works. Mary, the, the story of Mary, I'm going to just close this up. We'll finish this next week. Um, as much as I love to keep you all here all day. Um, I think I'm joking. But um, the story of Mary and, and Jesus being born, we, we totally don't do that story justice. There's one story where human gives birth to something out of intimacy with God himself. Mary. Okay. In, in Scripture, the time that we see all natural man, woman, give birth to something out of intimacy with God, it produces Jesus. All right, so, so the Holy Spirit conceives with Mary Jesus, not a man. Mary's a virgin. Right? Okay. So, so the way, and I say this all the time, but I'm trying to get some, the way that we reach Columbia is not a megaphone. I think megaphones are great. Don't own one, then they're awesome. If you, that's, that's you, do you. But I believe the most effective way to reach Columbia is to be in intimacy with the Lord until I start producing other Jesuses. I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay? Right? But if I'm not in his image, 
then I've got to throw out, well, one, I've got to throw out all this. He, the first thing he says about you is let us make man in our image. The first time you ever enter the picture is the statement where the Trinity is having a conversation with each other and they say, you know what? Let's make man in our image. So if you are the image of Jesus and Jesus was carrying within him the heavenly realm, you better be carrying the heavenly realm in you when you start to encounter people. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Starts in you and I. But that cannot happen if we believe he's a billion miles that way. It can't. But that's what we think. We think he's at a distance. We think this, this whole coronavirus thing, like, look, man, I, I hope they come out with a vaccine because Lord knows he ain't close. Right? I mean, that's how we respond to everything in life. You get a diagnosis. What's the first thing you do? Man, <sighs> hate that. Right? Rather than, you know what? That's all right. He's close. He heard. And, and, and people watching this, people, yeah, Josh, that sounds great. That's awesome. You don't know what I've been through. I don't have to know what you've been through. I'm giving you truth. I'm not giving you experience. I don't care what my experience was or your experience was. That has nothing to do with truth. Has nothing to do with the fact that Peter, a man who had just cursed Jesus' name three times and denied him, a few chapters later, is, cover, is covered in so much power that his shadow is just healing people. He don't even know it. He don't even know people are sick. He's just walking by them. But because he carries so much glory, the glory that is exuding off his life is just healing people left and right. Left and right. That's truth. Okay? America is not truth. I love America. I love democracy. This is not a democracy. This is a monarch. He is a king, and we are married to our king, but we don't have a say in how this goes because if we did, it would turn out very bad. We see how this goes because for the past 50 years, all we've done is make decisions based off what, what, what we think. But we know how this goes, right? And I don't, their church is in decline. I told you all this um, two months ago, maybe. That the statistics came out, I saw this article, that church attendance is dropping at such a rapid rate that in 55 years, if something doesn't change, in 55 years, zero Americans will go to church. Not one, not a thousand, not 5,000. If the trend continues like it's, like it's been going over the past decade, in 55 years, in your and my lifetime, 55 years, the church will be completely obsolete in America. In China, where they're put to death for worshiping the Lord, the church is exploding at a rate of 833% every decade. What's the difference? There, they know, I don't want to say in this. I'm following you. Here, we say, don't give us any directions. We know how to do this. The reason that I, I went through all of this today and I didn't even scratch the surface. Lord, I've got so many other notes and verses. But the reason I'm walking through this is because Jesus said, John 15, abide in me and I'll abide in you. What is heaven? Where God abides. Where's God abiding? Well, if you're abiding in him, he said, I'll abide in you. 
where he is is where his world is. Where is he? In you. So if he's in you, where is his world? In you. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I know this is new. I, you, I know we never hear this. That's why we're in the situation we're in. Because we thought that his world was way out there and our world was here and we thought he didn't care about us and we thought that he just dropped us here and gave us a book and said, have fun, I hope y'all figure it out. That's, that's what we thought. When he actually gave us this book so that we could see the reality of the world within us. You can read stuff that Jesus said, that Paul said, that Peter said, that Matthew said, that Luke said. You can read all of this stuff and see, you know what? The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the power that has quickened my mortal body. Hello, King James, right? So if that's the case, his world is not out there. His world is actually in here. And if his world is in here, I can believe for the impossible because what my world says is nothing is impossible, right? If we're living in the natural, nothing is possible. But if the world within us is his world, all things are possible. Not just possible, accessible, right? Healing's not something that we just throw up a prayer. Lord, I beg you, I beg you, you heal. I beg you to heal. I beg you to heal. All you got to do is just reach into the world within you and pull something out. That will require intimacy and that will require staring into his eyes until everything that has caused separation between you and him begins to fall. Man, I feel this all over me and it may just be Daniel and his anointing, but I, there, there's been multiple mornings that I will sit, 5 a.m., I'll sit on my bench that I made. <laughs> um, it's got so much metal in it that we could get a nuclear bomb attack and it would survive. Um, <laughs> but I'm not a builder. So I'm sitting on this bench though. And literally I'll sit there and I'll say, Lord, I want to look into your eyes. And there have been multiple times where I'll just stare and stare and I'll feel, you can, you can feel love. And I'll stare until I get uncomfortable. And then I'll keep staring until I'm very uncomfortable. Because in those moments, the reason I'm uncomfortable is he's reaching down and he's saying, that weed right there, I'm gonna take that. And that weed, I'm gonna take that. And that distrust, I'm gonna take that. And that fear, I'm gonna take that. And it's so uncomfortable, but when you leave that thing, there is no question that he's good. He, he, is, he is good. If I, if I could give my life for one thing, it would be proving to every person on planet earth how good Abba actually is. You don't even, you don't know. You have no idea. He's so good and he's so pure and he's so patient and he's so kind and he'll knock and he'll knock and he'll knock and he'll knock and he will not stop no matter how many times you tell him to leave. He will not stop knocking until you say what's the worst that could happen and you actually open that door. 
but I'm telling you today, we had um, tons of rain over the past couple of weeks. I mean, I've never seen so much rain in my life. We had so much rain. And yesterday, during the day, and this time we'll wrap it up. During the day, the past two days, I look out our back window and back in our backyard, there's just trees. I really need to clean it out, but there's trees and stuff all over the place. And I look back there and I've never seen so many birds in my life. And uh, this, is, this is what I was telling you earlier. I've never seen so many birds and they're out there and they're playing and they're bathing in the water and they're la- and they're singing and they're like, you know, just just joyful. And, and I heard the Lord say, the rain is over. You've been on a boat for 40 days and 40 nights. so many days, especially in the beginning of this, I felt like no one, no one wanted anything to do with the Lord. And I stayed faithful. And then he brought other people who stayed faithful. And then he brought other people who stayed faithful. And now we're tasting and seeing that the rain is over. And if the rain's over, then that means he believes he has enough in seed form to repopulate the earth. If the rain has stopped, it must be because he found some righteous people. The first time grace is mentioned in the Bible is with Noah. Noah found grace with the Lord. How did he find grace? Because he actually believed he was righteous. How do I know he believed he was righteous? Because when the Lord came to him and said, I want you to build a boat for an event that has never happened in the history of the globe, he said, yes, sir. hear that story I can hear the song tis so sweet just to just to take him at his word I don't need to know how it's gonna rain I don't need to know how many people are gonna pass away because of the rain I don't need to know how many days I'm gonna be on the ark I don't need to know how many years I'm gonna be walking around this earth trying to repopulate with seven people I don't need to know any of it. I just need to know you said build a boat for an event that's never happened. And I trust you enough that if you spoke it and released it into my life, it must be good. And some of you have waited for the Lord to prove himself. Some of you have waited for the Lord to show up and push you into the things that you have heard whispers for. And the reason that he hasn't shown up to prove himself is because the glory in the things he's called you to is your response that says, I don't need to know how it ends. I just need to know you spoke because if you spoke, you watch over your word to perform it. I don't need to watch over your word. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information, visit dreamcolumbia.com.